Welcome everyone to the Bold Speak Podcast, I'm Anthony Creedon. On this episode of the podcast, we'll be taking a look at 1 Corinthians 8 and how Paul describes the purpose for freedom in the Christian life and how that connects to our freedom in the gospel. And on the inner out, I'm going to talk a little gaming as I give my two cents on EA's upcoming release of Anthem and the implications of decision-based gameplay. All that headed your way as we give them the bold speak. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the Bold Speak Podcast's study of No Other Gospel, a study of the book of Galatians. Really glad you could be with me as today we're going to take a deeper look into the nature of Christian freedom. Uh, in fact, we're going to look at a concrete example from the life of the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul is going to address a specific example uh, that deals with the nature of Christian freedom and how we're supposed to live that out which is a pretty critical point, right? This theology needs practical application, and that's what we're going to take a look at today. Then we're going to take all those ideas, and we're going to connect them back to the end of Galatians chapter 5, as Paul's going to discuss what it means to live out the gospel, but still be attentive to the nature of the law and the responsibilities that we have for kindness, gentleness, and those other fruits of the Spirit. So this should be an excellent study, a lot of stuff to cover. So let's go ahead and jump in. If you've got your study guide with you, you can go ahead and open that up to page 34, right? That's where we're going to begin. If you haven't yet had a chance to pick up that study guide, I would encourage you to do so on our website, www.theboldspeak.com. If you click on the shop button at the top, uh, it'll give you that study and availability to purchase that there, as well as several other studies that we have going on with our YouTube channel and much, much more to come. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this. We're going to be getting again with 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, if you do have your Bible, go ahead and open there. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I've got you covered. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version so that you will be able to hear every word and follow along if you're driving in the car or just simply don't have access to a Bible at the moment. All right, so uh, let's jump in here. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. There's only 13 verses, so we're going to read the whole thing. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Look, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? 
And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This gets to question seven. What is the situation that Paul is describing in the Corinthian congregation? Uh, this is a bit of a complex issue. It, it appears that there was concern about eating meat that was offered to idols. The concern on behalf of the congregation was whether or not that meat was all right to purchase and eat for food since it was offered to a pagan god. So it, it appears that while some saw the meat as harmless and able to be eaten, that that was no big deal, others objected, saying that the meat was not to be eaten and that doing so would in some way give approval and support to pagan worship. All right, so, so those who believed that the meat was harmless would buy and eat the meat from the idol's temple, while others just kind of stood there shocked that they would participate in what they believed to be idolatry. All right, and this was causing uh, conflict and friction within the congregation. The concern that Paul is going to express here is, is for the weaker brother, right? That is to say, the one who just isn't quite sure how this plays out in the life of, of the believer, all right? And so this gets us to, to question eight. What is Paul's point in verses one through three? All right, to refresh our memory, and we read it real quickly again. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. The point Paul is making here is a strong point about the nature of knowledge. All right, we need to understand that, that knowledge, while it can be beneficial, is a very self-centered reality. In other words, I know something, and when I know something, I know it. Now, I can choose to, to use that knowledge for the benefit of others, but I can also choose to just keep that knowledge to myself. So knowledge in and of itself, while it has the potential to be beneficial, doesn't necessarily come as a benefit to others. And see, that's where love comes in. Love turns knowledge into wisdom, right? It's my capacity and ability to use that knowledge for the benefit of other people. And so this is why he says that knowledge in and of itself can puff up. It can make you feel powerful and, and kind of good about yourself because you know something that other people don't know. But until that knowledge turns into wisdom by love and, and thinks about how it relates to other people, that knowledge really carries no benefit, right? And so Paul's really expressing the importance of love and consideration for other people when it comes to knowledge. All right, now let's, let's kind of move on to question nine here. How is Paul explaining the difference between liberty and freedom in this section of 1 Corinthians? Uh, we already talked about this a little bit in the last podcast, and here you can really see it play itself out. All right, liberty would be the position of, of those who know that eating the meat is not sinful or contributing to idol worship, so they, they do it anyway, despite the objections of those who don't know. Okay, in that scenario, those eating the meat are only concerned with their own individual rights. Okay, they, they feel that they can eat the meat, so that's what they're going to do. All right, this is liberty at its worst. 
right? There's no concern for how their actions affect other people, only their own desires. Meanwhile, in the midst of their liberty, Paul is asking them to exercise their Christian freedom, right? Freedom is found in Paul's admonition to the Christians who understand that they can eat the meat from the idol sacrifices, but right, they understand that that meat is not evil and they're, they're not contributing to idol worship. But the problem is that such practices are, are proving to be divisive to the Christians that do not share that knowledge. Right? To those that don't know, this appears to be idol worship. Right? In this way, their, their liberty is impeding the message of the gospel and the truth of God's word. Right? Rather, what Paul's encouraging them to be is free in the gospel. That is to say, the freedom to refuse to eat meat for the sake of the weaker believer. Right, those who don't yet understand. All right, I have an example of this um, that I've, I've told many. When I was in college, I had a, a friend of mine who, who didn't drink. Uh, that was just something that he didn't do uh, according to his convictions and his beliefs. When we would go out with him and interact with him, there would be times where many of us would choose not to drink, even though we were legally of age to drink, we would choose not to for his sake. So he didn't feel on the outs or didn't feel awkward about it or weird about it. And um, that's an exercise of freedom. The freedom to not do something for the sake of another. And hopefully I think that's, that's what Paul, that's what you're seeing Paul wants to convey here. The nature of freedom is always other focused. It's geared toward the other. That's how knowledge turns into wisdom. Okay, and so freedom is about the other person, and that's the critical point that Paul wants to make, as we're now going to go back into Galatians 5 and see how this all connects. All right, so this is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So question 10 asks this, what is Paul concerned for in Galatians 5, 13 to 15? Now, Paul's concern is that now that the Galatian Christians have been reminded that they are free in Christ, that they'll abuse that freedom and no longer exercise that freedom in connection with a right understanding of the law. So now, while it's true that the law no longer holds us captive as slaves in the realm of salvation, we must also recognize that the law does have a place in our living out of the Christian life. Uh, that place is a, a realm where kind of love kind of focuses on, on treating other people correctly. It cares for other people. It's that use of wisdom. And it's a, a careful balance that Paul needs to maintain when dealing with the law and the gospel. Right? Just because the law of God doesn't save us doesn't mean that it isn't necessary or has no role in our lives. Right? And this is a very important, kind of really important doctrine or theology that we call sanctification. Now, to better understand this, if you look in your study guide, you'll see uh, that there is a diagram there for you that has passive righteousness and active righteousness. What that's getting to is a very important theological principle known as the two kinds of righteousness. The two kinds of righteousness help us better understand how it is that we live out the reality of the gospel, right? The, the idea is, is that passive righteousness 
is God's movement to us where he does the work of redemption and salvation, right? That arrow only ever points down. It never points up. That is to say, there's nothing we can do to earn that salvation. And that's the point that Paul has been making so much in the book of Galatians, all right? The law does not play a part in the reality of our eternal life. However, what it does is it frees us from having to constantly sort of look over our shoulder and make sure that we're doing the right things, that we're appeasing God or pleasing God for salvation, and now allows us the freedom to look toward others, right? I don't have to do good works to earn a place with God, but I do good works to love and care for my neighbor. And that's the active righteousness. And there you see the arrow pointing to the left and to the right toward other people. And so what it's expressing is that God's love that he bestows upon us, the gospel that he so graciously gives to us, that gospel is not meant to be kept in like knowledge, where it sort of puffs us up and we think, well, I'm okay, I'm taken care of, but rather that gospel is meant to be lived out in the lives of other people. That's the whole purpose and point of our lives, to express that love out to others. Otherwise, the moment that we were saved, God would go, perfect, I've got you, um, you are mine, and I'm just going to take you to be with me immediately. But we have lives so that we can communicate that message out to other, other people and, and spread that gospel. And that's the realm of active righteousness. Now, the important thing to see is that these two lines, right, passive righteousness, which is that vertical line, and active righteousness, which is that horizontal line, those lines connect. That is to say... Our outward loving of other people comes because God first loved us. And that's the nature of sanctification. We recognize that the works of love and the living out of the gospel that we do for others is simply a response, a reflection of the love that God first gave us. And so this is the balance that Paul is trying to make sure that we, we have, that the Galatians understand, and that we understand in the outward living of our faith. So now let's finish up Galatians chapter 5 by reading verses 16 to 26. Again, reading from the English Standard Version, it says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, uh, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. Question 11. What does Paul mean by saying that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh? 
the spirit of God that lives inside of us is is what creates the desire and the ability for us to, to do good works, to, to love our neighbor. And this is the point that we made when we we're talking about the, the two kinds of righteousness, right? The connection between those two lines, the only ability we have to love other people is because God first loved us, all right? And, and Christ has, has set you free and given you his spirit so that you're now able to do that and live in conformity with God's law and his desire to live in right relationship with him and in right relationship with others. But just because God has given us his spirit doesn't mean that the desires of the flesh are just kind of eliminated and we don't struggle with sin anymore, right? You and I both know that the reality of sin still exists in our lives. And so what Paul's pointing out is what we end up experiencing is this war, this battle, right? This intense battle between the Spirit of God and our own flesh. That our own flesh desires to follow our own desires. It's very inward focus, where the Spirit of God moving within us is very outward focus. And that's kind of where Paul wants to bring some clarification. And that's why we're asking question 12. What does Paul mean when he says that the works of the flesh are evident? What Paul's saying here is that the, the realities of the desires of the flesh, these things are obvious to us, right? He gives this, this, this really long list of different sins and, and realities of the flesh that are obvious to us. And what he means by obvious is these are the things that, that, that come naturally to us, right? No one has to tell us to desire these things. We just intrinsically desire them. That, that flesh wants to do things that only are, are self-serving and give us pleasure according to the ways that we desire pleasure. And so what Paul's saying here is if you want to know sort of what you bring to the table, right, what the, what the flesh brings to the table, here's a long list of things that, that I don't really even have to tell you, right, that you just automatically know. But then he balances that against what he calls fruit of the Spirit, right? And that's question 13. What is the importance of Paul's word choice when he says the fruits of the Spirit? The fruit comes from a plant, a tree or a vine. And you don't have to tell the tree or the vine to produce that kind of fruit. The tree or vine just naturally knows to produce that fruit. There's no request that needs to be made, and it can't make a different decision. It's not like an orange tree can go, well, I think this year I'm going to make apples, right? It doesn't work that way. Those trees, because they are fruit trees, naturally produce fruit. And the connection that Paul is making here is the Spirit of God living within us works the same way. The Spirit produces fruit. In fact, it produces these things that we know to be good, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? These are the things that the, the Spirit of God produces in us and then flow out of us into the lives of other people. And, and so the point that Paul is making is this. All of the good things that we do are the result of the Spirit of God working within us. All the bad things that we do are the result of our own sinful flesh and desires. So if you want to know what you bring to the table, you bring sin, right? Awesome. That's excellent, right? That, that, that makes us feel awesome, right? The reality is, is that what we bring to the table is we bring sin. All the good things in our life are all the result of God working, right? And so a recognition of the freedom that we have in the gospel is going way beyond just our own freedom. But rather what Paul's saying is, 
Now you have a freedom in the gospel that you are able to give to others, right? Because the gifts that God give you gives you are, are now able to be dispensed out to other people. And those are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You now have an ability to give those to others. And so do that, right? Live out the gospel that God gave to you toward others. That, that's its purpose, right? To redeem you, to set you free so that you can live in freedom and show others the beauty of that very freedom, right? And this is kind of what Paul has been uh, moving us toward this whole time in understanding the relationship between the law and the gospel. And that's going to close out Galatians chapter 5. Now, I hope you join me uh, next week as we get into Galatians chapter 6 and finish out Paul's thoughts on the nature of freedom in the gospel and how the gospel and law work together. And then I have a special treat for you. We only have uh, two more lessons left on this series of the podcast, Doing No Other Gospel. And then we're going to get into our next series, which I'm super excited about. So I hope you join me next week as I'll make that announcement very soon. All right, moving on. I am a long-time gamer, all right? Since the early days of the Atari until now, I have loved playing video games and the ability that gives me to enter into other worlds and, and honestly kind of take a break from the real one. And over the course of time, these video games have become far more developed than those old-school scrollers like Super Mario Brothers. In fact, one gaming company has worked hard developing a decision-based AI in their games that, that adds a whole nother level to the gaming experience. And it's that style of gameplay and its latest iteration that I want to discuss on this edition of The Inner Out. All right, young man, in or out? Video games are not what they used to be. When I think back on the days of Atari and Nintendo, the games were pretty straightforward. You jumped, fired, or goomba-stomped your way through each level. But as technology advanced and AI along with it, video games became quite complex, being more story-driven as opposed to all action. And there are very few gaming companies that have capitalized on this innovation in AI more than BioWare. With a humble beginning in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, BioWare set out to change the gaming world by creating games that were more about the characters and their story rather than simple game objectives like beating a level. For them, it's about creating an experience. As they say on their website, our mission is creating worlds of adventure, conflict, and companionship that inspire you to become the hero of your story. And this is what prompted them to create their flagship gaming engine that is rooted in decision-based AI. What is that? Well, let me explain. Within the game, the gamer is challenged with a series of multiple choices and options as to how you play the game. Questions are asked of in-game characters, requests are made for help, and then you decide how you would like to proceed. But here is the defining characteristic of Bioware games. Those decisions have consequences, sometimes even long-term consequences. If you refuse to help someone or answer rudely to an in-game character, they might refuse to help you in the future. If you are kind, the in-game characters will be kind to you. And this isn't even within a single game. In the popular sci-fi series Mass Effect, these decisions carried over through each iteration of the game. 
As long as you imported your character from each installment of the series, the game would catalog your decisions and then bring about the consequences from past mistakes or victories into each future encounter. For instance, if I decide to help someone in the original Mass Effect game, they would be more likely to help me in Mass Effect 3. Or if I was mean to someone in Mass Effect 2, they were equally rude to me in Mass Effect 3. Now, aside from the incredible tech needed to pull something like this off, there is something that I think is incredibly helpful in this style of play, a recognition of long-term consequences for short-term decisions. In my brief play of the demo for BioWare's newest series, Anthem, I saw a little of those same elements. You decide how you want to treat people and what you will choose over the course of missions, and this opens up opportunities or difficulties as the game progresses. And I absolutely love it! Why? Because it has the potential to teach people a very critical lesson. Actions have consequences, even ones you can't necessarily see because they're many, many years later. Paul tells us in Galatians 6, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That is to say, we need to think beyond the moment and look toward how each action affects ourselves and others in the future. So many times we're tempted to make decisions in the moment without considering what that decision means for tomorrow or even 10 years from now. Whether it's a small decision like leaving a cart outside of a cart corral and eventually having it hit another car, or making some small mistake on social media that prevents a job five years from now, learning the relationship between actions and consequences is important. We must remember, kindness begets kindness and hard-heartedness begets hard-heartedness, and so on, and so on. While these games may seem trivial to some, and while some may disregard the gaming world altogether, there are some gems in there that can actually teach us important life lessons. And Bioware's games and their latest installment of Anthem may in fact be one of those gems. At least, I hope that it is. So as for Anthem and Bioware's games, I have to say, I am definitely in. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bold Speak Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Make sure you connect with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at forward slash the Bold Speak. Give us comments, questions, engage in the conversation with us. And make sure you check out our website, www.theboldspeak.com, for all the latest information to purchase those study guides. And also make sure you subscribe to this channel so you can get the latest updates, content, and information as it's released. Until next time, everyone, super glad to have you with me. I'm Anthony Creedon, and that is The Bold. Speak.